Isn't it great to be in God's house today? Man, I can't think of another place today that I'd rather be than right here in God's house among God's people. Uh, as Jared mentioned a little bit earlier, Susan and I, thank you guys, Susan and I are, are members of the church here and we come to the 830 service, so we're rarely in this service unless I'm having an opportunity to teach like today. We sit right over there uh, and so we love Joe, you, you guys are in the late service, late, late service, dude, because usually we sit right behind you, which is great, because that way your singing kind of comes this way, anyway. So, uh, showing the love over there to you, man. But anyway, it's good to be in God's house. I'm excited about getting to share God's word with you today. Uh, I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you would turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Also, um, inside your order of service is an outline. I I like to sort of call those listening guides, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I, I would really love it for you to take that out and take notes as we go along. You know, when you say stuff like, my mama used to always tell me, you have to sort of pay attention. My mama used to always say, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. We write down the things that matter. So uh, hopefully you'll take notes as we study God's word together today. You know, um, one of the incredible things is Jared introduced me. I'm the founder and CEO of a ministry called Dulas Partners, and uh, it's amazing. In, in April, we'll be 11 years old, and we're now working in 36 countries on four continents. Uh, we support between seven and 8,000 indigenous leaders who are preaching the gospel to reach their own countrymen. Uh, it has been an absolute joy of my life to get to travel the world and see the church be the church, regardless of the color of the skin or the language or the socioeconomic level differences or the educational differences. What draws the church together in the unity of the church is through the unity that comes in the bond of peace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I have been out of the country over 60 times in the last 10 and a half years and been in a lot of different cultures. And as a matter of fact, back in late February and early March, uh, we actually did a three-country swing in, uh, in nine days. I don't highly recommend that. Um, you know, we went from highs of 17 degrees to highs of 77 degrees kind of on one plane ride. And that's kind of crazy to try to pack for that. But we were in Austria and Germany. We were working with refugees there. It was an amazing experience to get to see refugees who had come from all over the world. We went into those refugee camps. We shared the gospel. We saw people from Afghanistan, people from Syria, people um, you know, from Yemen come to faith in Christ from all over the world as we had an opportunity to share the gospel. And we, we did travel into the country of Jordan and we had an opportunity there because the, the majority of the refugees in Jordan are Syrian. And uh, I had an opportunity to share my testimony in one of the camps. And six of the Syrian refugees came to faith in Christ just from sharing the story of how I came to be a believer in Jesus. There's power, church family, in a testimony. And so it's been, uh, it's been a cool experience. It's so one of the things that was the highlight of the trip, we got to the kind of the end of our last day, and I won't use his real name and certainly wouldn't show a picture, but Pastor Kay kind of said right the last day, he said, hey man, I want to take y'all to an amazing place and it'll be, a, it'll be a gift to you. And so 
So we drove for a couple of hours, and we drove up into this parking lot, and up on the apex, I could see this city in ruins. And so we walked up and walked through the streets, some walls up, some walls half torn down, some walls all the way down. And we walked all the way to the back of the apex of this, what I found to be on the other side, a mountain. And I looked down off the mountain, and I saw a body of water off in the distance, and Pastor Kay said, that's the Sea of Galilee. And I was like, oh my stars, I've, I've been on the Sea of Galilee. I've entered into the Sea of Galilee from the other side, but I'd never seen the Sea of Galilee from the Jordan side. He said, David, I want you to know, this region is the region of the Gadarenes. This region is where the story of Mark chapter 5 takes place. So I looked down to the left and I saw this cobble road. Now picture this, I'm up on the apex of the hill. I turn to the left and look right toward us. So off to the left of that cobble road is a cemetery. It's a graveyard. It's where tombs are. So everything that takes place in this story took place right there. Let me just say, when you walk where Jesus walks, now the Bible is alive and it's sharp and it's a two-edged sword, so you may not ever get to go to Israel in your lifetime, but let me just tell you, when you've walked where the story takes place, there's a richness and a depth to that. Now, you maybe haven't been there, but I at least wanted you to be able to see what it looked like. So, as you saw up here, the title of the message today is One Person and One Word. That's the title, and we're going to look at this passage because we're going to look at one person who gave one word, and I think this is just such a powerful text. So give me just a minute to sort of, I'm going to kind of go off script here for just a second because not on your outline is a verse that I think is important for us to look at before we dive into this text. And you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. It's just one verse. You might want to kind of note the, the site and go back and look at this text. This is Jesus speaking to the Jews. John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me tell you, I believe there are people sitting in this room today. And I believe there are people that are sitting in churches just like ours all over America, yea, even all over the world, who sit here thinking, I'm only one person, and there's no way I can make a difference in the sea of a 7.6 billion world. Let me tell you, if you ever think that, I want you to understand that's coming straight from the father of lies where it says there is no truth in him. Because God can use one person and can use one person to do great things. We're going to see the evidence of that in this story today. So let's dive in to the story. Number one, I want you to write this because we see four powers, at least four, there could be more, but four powers that jumped out to me as I studied and prepared this text today. First of all, is the power of darkness. 
the power of darkness. So let's look at the first verses together today here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, they being Jesus and his disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes. There's that word. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been often shackled with chains um, and shackles, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So here's this man, obviously the people of the area had tried to subdue him before, had maybe had some successes early on, and yet his strength and his power through the darkness of these demons inside of him, he literally would break every rope, every leather bind, every shackle, every chain, literally could snap it off of his body just like that. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, this phrase in the Greek, crying out, literally means a scream that's almost not earthly in sound. There's a groan, there's a screech, there's a scream. This man is in obvious agony as he's walking in the darkness, as he's bound up you know, by Satan and his demons, as he's bound up in his own sin, in his own sin of unbelief, he's crying and literally cutting himself with stones. Let me say to us uh, this morning, church family, that the devil, you know, is a incredibly worthy advocate. He is someone that is seeking whom he may devour, he is someone that is battling against the light. He's fighting for darkness. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Because you see, this story is not just about this one man. This story is not just about this one man who's walking through darkness, who's struggling with difficulties. This is a picture of what the lost world looks like. Would you guys agree with me this morning that there's darkness and evil in our world? You know, I've been amazed at the slippery slope that it appears to, you know, be moving through as it relates to our country. I, I I'm amazed at when I watch a commercial on television, when I see the evil and the darkness. I mean, I've just gotten aware. I just turn it off. It is amazing the evidence of evil and darkness that we're seeing in our world today. And it seems to me, church family, that it is accelerating. There's darkness in this picture and there's darkness today because the truth of the matter is the devil is seeking someone to devour. He had certainly won the battle in this man's life and we certainly see him winning the battle in our world today. Listen, I, I want you to know that the battles that we fight are not flesh. Now, 
the, the, you know, sometimes the flesh is the evidence of spiritual battle, but the truth of the matter is the battles we fight are not against flesh and blood. We feel that sometimes physically, we feel in our body, but Paul writes here in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So again, we may feel that physically, but the battles we fight are in the spirit realm. So why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to the area of the Gadarenes? Why did Jesus come to planet Earth in the first place? Look with me. Why did he come? He came, and I want you to write this down, to seek and save that which was lost. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to set captives free. This man was bound up. And Jesus came to the earth. He came to the region for this man and for all of mankind to be set free. And yet as I was studying this, I came across this verse, and I hadn't seen this verse in a long time, but in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, there's another reason that Jesus came, not only to this region, but to this earth. And it says, and this is written by John, this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to give sight to the blind to heal the brokenhearted, to set captives free, and to destroy the works of the devil. So the power of darkness is about as evidenced in this story as any other story you're going to find in Scripture. Clear evidence of darkness. But the second thing that we see here, and I want you to write this down, is the power of light. The power of light enters into the narrative. So look with me beginning in verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, now at this point, the writer is transitioning. The he is going to be the lead demon, the lead, uh, you know, uh, a leader of this band of demons that we're going to see unfold in this story. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, the demon, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I want you to understand something. This demon recognized Jesus as the son of God. And he spoke to him. Listen, there are a lot of people who say, well, I, I, I've heard of Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I can say he's the son of God. Well, listen, so does this demon. But that doesn't make us right with the Lord. And so here he says, I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, he, Jesus, was saying to him, the demon, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is what, church? Legion. You know, every time we study the Bible, we always have to look at the Bible in context because context is king. So what's the context of the name for Legion? The context in the first century was it had to do with the size of, of the Roman army. So a legion in the Roman army were 6,000 soldiers. So most theologians, and I would agree with this, would say this man had several thousand demons inside him, for we are many. 
and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, so we've gone to plural now because the spokesperson demon was speaking. And now plural, they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Now, this is a key part of this text. Don't miss this. So he, being Jesus, gave them permission. I want you to know something, church, and this is an incredible truth. Satan and his demons can only do what God gives them the permission to do. Do you remember the story of Job? Do you remember what God said? He said, Satan, what about my servant Job? You can do anything to Job that you want to, but you can't kill him. So here, Jesus is the one who is superior. These demons recognize that. They see that he is the son of God. They realize who he is, and he gives them their permission. And the unclean, again, plural, spirits came out of him and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Let me just tell you, that bank is extremely steep. Because as I was standing on the apex, man, you're on a mountain. It, it would take nothing for those pigs to go down the mountain because the inertia is going to take them down there. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. So who enters the narrative? The light of the world who came to take away the sins of the world. So let me ask you this question. What does light do? Light, and you can write this down, dispels the darkness. I remember when Susan and I first got married, we'd been married 43 years. And we met when we were nine and got married when we were 12. Now, just kidding there. We met when we were 16, got married when we were 19, so that's pretty close. I remember Susan's mom and dad gave us this piece of property. We built a house on it. We were way out in the country. We were on a dirt road. I mean, I mean, you know, we were out there, you know, if there would have been GPS, you wouldn't have been able to find us. And so we were out there, and I'll never forget our first night. I went over and turned the light off to go to bed, and it was so dark that I could not see my hand in front of my face. Any of you ever been in a place where darkness was like that? Isn't it amazing? Just the striking of a single match in that situation, how even the smallest of light dispels the darkness. And so Jesus comes into this story he comes in the light, the great light, the Shekinah glory of God kind of light. And he dispels the darkness. So where does that light come from? He says himself in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. I hope you've studied the seven I am statements and the seven miracles or eight miracles uh, in John. And this is one of the I am statements. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, and it, uh, but will have the light of life because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
So much so, y'all, it's not ever going to be dark in heaven. Why? Because in God, there is no darkness at all. Jesus is the only one who can dispel the darkness. Jesus is the only one who can defeat Satan. Jesus is the only one that can save us from our sin. Jesus is the only one that can bring us into a right relationship with the Father. How do we know that? Because Jesus says so himself with another I am statement when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the what church? The life. No man comes to the Father except by me. There aren't multiple ways to the Father. There's only one way to the Father. There aren't multiple ways to be made right before God. There's only one way to be made right with God, and it is through the light of the world, Jesus Christ, who comes to give life. Darkness brings death. Light brings life. And light entered in to this narrative. And the darkness became subservient to the light. Wow. Think about that. The third power that we see here is the power of transformation. Transformation. And we see this beginning in verse 15. Y'all look at this. This this. As my grandkids will say, just gets gooder and gooder. That's always with something that has sugar in it. You know, you notice that? I love to let them come over to my house and sugar them up and send them home. That's awesome. Look here in verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there. Now, do you notice that's, that's past tense? That had had... The legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. So I want you to understand something. This man was naked. This man was crazy. This man was tormented. Because in the first century and in that day, those people who were absolutely out of their mind, they roamed the tombs. That was where they went. They went there in the garbage dumps. This man was outside of his mind. He was tormented. And yet here he was when he interacted, when he came to faith in Christ, he's sitting there as he encountered the light, as he had gone from death to life. Sitting there fully clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Isn't it interesting when people are walking in darkness, when they're exposed to the light, how much they want the light to go away? That's amazing to me. The very light that can give them life, they reject. As he was getting into the boat, so Jesus is leaving. He's getting into the boat. And here's the evidence of this man's transformation. 
The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Let me just say that if you've been transformed by Jesus Christ, you want to be with him. This man wanted to get in the boat with Jesus. This man wanted to go with Jesus. This man wanted to serve with Jesus. So how do we do that? We do that by studying the word. How, how are we to be with Jesus? We do that through prayer. How are we with Jesus? We gather together with other believers. How are we with him? We're obedient to carry out what he's called us to do. Someone who's transformed looks different. This man was fully clothed and sitting in his right mind. There's another cool example of this in the story, even though, or in the Bible, even though we don't know the name of this man in this story, we know that the demon's name was Legion because there were many. But we do know the man named Paul who had a similar situation when he was in the darkness and introduced to the light. And he was an enemy, like Satan is an enemy of the gospel. He was an enemy of, of, of Jesus and an enemy of the church. As a matter of fact, you see in eight, uh, Acts 8, 1a, and Paul approved of his execution, him being Stephen, one of the disciples, one of the early evangelists in the early church movement. Paul was a part of seeing him stoned to death. In Acts 8, it says, but Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Acts 9, 1 through 2, but Paul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, and that's another name for Jesus in the scripture, if you notice that that is an uppercase W, if you find any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul was pursuing hard after the early church, after the Christians, to murder them and to throw them into prison and to stamp it out. And yet, on a road very similar to what we just saw, on a cobble road leading to Damascus, the light of the world showed up to Paul. Jesus talked to him. Out of that bright light, I didn't share this story with the 930 service. So for the extra cost of admission that we're going to charge you today, you're going to get an extra story, okay? On my second trip to the country of Nepal, we were in uh, the area of Kathmandu and we had about 50 church planters that had, that had traveled out of the Himalayas, some of them for three or four days, some of them literally walking on the apex of mountains that are like this wide, straight down on this side, straight down. That makes my toes tingle. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not real great with heights. But in between times that I, were, I was getting to teach, we would go out and we would record these church planters' testimonies. If you don't think God's alive and well on planet Earth, you're wrong. Because 20 of those 50 church planters said, 
We came to faith in Christ because Jesus appeared to us in a dream and spoke to us through what? A bright light. Wow. Paul met Jesus through the light. This man in this story met Jesus, the light of the world. And so here he is. How do we know it's true? How do we know it's real? How do we know that Paul was actually transformed? Because look, for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, the very ones that he was defending against the gospel. He goes to the synagogues and he says, he is the son of God. Talking about transformation. And Paul later writes, if therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He went from the enemy of the gospel to an advocate of the gospel. Why? Because he encountered the living light of the world. Let me tell you, you can't say you love Jesus and you're a Jesus follower and continue to live like you did in the old life. Because of those things that passed away. Because you're different. The last thing I would have you to write is the power of obedience. So we've seen the obvious power of darkness in this man's life. We've seen the obvious, you know, Jesus coming onto the scene in the first century, still working as the light of the world in the 21st century. We see transformation as people are introduced to Jesus through the gospel. And then as people become believers, we see the power of obedience. Look with me. At verses 19 and 20. So let me just remind you, this man's just begged Jesus to go with him. Look at Jesus' answer. And he did not permit him, but said to him. So, so you guys get this? Jesus said no. This man said, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I want to sit under your teaching. I want to serve with you. I am now a follower of yours. I want to go. And Jesus said, no. And then he said, go. Sound familiar? Have you read the Great Commission lately? Five days before the ascension of Jesus, he said, what? Go and what? Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus said the same word to this man. Go. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. The word Decapolis in the Greek means ten cities. So he goes among the 10 cities and he shares how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Did you see what happened here? He went immediately. If you go back and look at, at, uh, at what happened in Paul's life, it says, and immediately he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to let you in on something that most people have never even thought about. Do you realize that delayed obedience is disobedience? I mean, have you thought about that before? 
delayed obedience is disobedience until you actually say yes. This man was, was obedient immediately. Now, let me tell you, this is so powerful. I don't want you to write this down. When you are obedient, lives are changed around you in the short term. In the short term. As a matter of fact, some of the most incredible evangelists of people that I've seen are people who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. They have no Bible training. They don't know the Scripture. I've seen it all over the world where people will just say, hey, listen, this is the way I was before Christ. This is the way I am now. God has transformed me, and I need to tell you about it. And there I've seen all kinds of people come to faith in Christ and people that really didn't even hardly understand the scripture. Matter of fact, let me give you a second story. This is going to cost you an extra thing in the offering plate today, okay? So, on my first time to India, I met a, I met a woman named Tapashi. And I may have shared this story in here before, but Tapashi was a village prostitute, sold into prostitution by her own husband. And in that prostitution, she would go out, obviously, and, and, and the men in the village knew her. And our church planters started coming in and sharing the gospel, and she saw the Jesus film. And she came to faith in Christ, and she literally walked from her salvation decision to her husband in her home and said, I can no longer be a prostitute. Did she know this verse, old things have passed away, be a whole thing become new? No. Did she know she was new? Yes. Had she been metamorphosed? Yes. Had she gone through life change? Yes. When you become transformed, there will be fruit, and that fruit is obedience, and that brings short, this short-term fruit. Now, you're going to David, how, how do you know? How do you know there was fruit? Look. You can just turn over, and you can do this later. Turn over to Mark chapter 7, and you get over to Mark chapter 7, and it says, Then he, being Jesus, returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon at the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. In those days, when a great crowd had gathered, now stay with me here, the people in the region tried to run Jesus off, Right? The darkness didn't want to have anything to do with the light. But let me tell you what this man did. This man in this story did exactly what Jesus said. He went from city to city to city to city to city. And he told the people about Jesus' mercy and how he had been set free. And I believe two months later when Jesus comes back, and as far as we know, the only two times Jesus ever travels to this region... He comes back there because of the fruit of the labor of this one man. I want you to write this down because this is key part of this point. When you are obedient, lives are changed in the long term as well, even if you never see it. Let me do the Paul Harvey thing on the story from Jordan. So we're literally standing right at those pillars that you saw that was the entrance to the tomb. So our team is standing right there. Pastor Kay walks over and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he's really talking to me 
Obviously, everyone in the team is hearing what he's saying. He puts his hand on his shoulder, on my shoulder, and he says, David, I'm a believer today in the 21st century because of the faithfulness of the man in this story in the first century. I said, Pastor Kay, how can that be the case? He said, because what you don't know is of those 10 cities in the Decapolis, seven of them are Jordanian cities. And because of the testimony of this one man, I'm a believer 20 centuries later because of his testimony. So let me ask you, can one person make a difference. So on your outline, who's the one person? You are. What's the one word? Yes. What if all of us in this room said, Satan, we're going to give you no foothold in our life. You can start, you can stop that chirping and you can come to the place where you realize I am a child of the king and that I can be used in great ways to move the needle of the gospel, not only across our city and across our state and across our country, but across the world. And if Jesus tarries, I realize that my testimony today can can lead people to Christ all the way into the 41st century. What would happen, church family, what would happen to us at Westwood if every one of us in this room started living our life like that? Because you see, we have two choices to make. This man made two choices. The choices was he said yes to salvation And then he said, yes to obedience. What about you today? Would you today put your yes on the table?